It's Jay. Welcome to the Real Indigenous Podcast. I'm Noetta Harjo, and I'm here with my co-host. Pagalevzi, Uvanga Angela Starts. And tonight we have a special guest. If you'll introduce yourself, please. Mark. Hello, my name is Mark Williams, and I am a Choctaw filmmaker from Shawnee, Oklahoma. Thanks for joining us, Mark. And uh, before we start, why don't you tell us where we can find you on social media? So you can find me on mostly on Facebook and uh, Instagram under Digital Feather Media. Um, I also have another page, Native Boy Production, but most of my current work will be on Digital Feather Media. Awesome. Um, so Mark is an award-winning Choctaw filmmaker from Shawnee, Oklahoma. Uh, Interestingly enough, he's never been to film school. He's a self-taught uh, filmmaker using friends and family for his first few projects. His first short film premiered at the Red Fork Film Festival in Tulsa in 2006. Uh, from there, he would go on to write, direct, produce, and edit more short films until 2012 when he made his first feature-length film, The Unrest, which won the Best Film Award at the Muskogee Film Festival. In 2016, his second film, feature film, Violet, won 12 awards at in the US and overseas with 29 award nominations overall. Mark's latest film, The Journey of Tiak Hakio Ohoyo, a sports documentary about the Mississippi Choctaw stickball was released in August 2022 in film festivals and having won best feature documentary at the Fort Smith International Film Festival and best feature film at Indigenous Film Festival. And you're still going with this film. So uh, before we get into that, why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey in filmmaking and, and kind of what kind of other types of films you've been involved in. Okay, um, so like you said, I've never been to film school. Um, I started, well, just kind of going far back. I've always kind of been uh, into creative things, writing, drawing, just whatever, some kind of creative outlet whenever I was little. But when I got older, you know, I went out and got a job and, and, and went to school but, you know, it just really wasn't clicking for me. And so I kind of went back to my first love, which was uh, writing. And um, 2006, I believe, I wrote a, a little short film, a script. And I wrote this thing and didn't really know what to do with it. And so um, a buddy of mine uh, just... Uh, convinced me just to you know go shoot it and and get friends and family just whoever just just make just make the movie and kind of go from there so that's pretty much what I did uh literally just at, at the time I was married so I had my wife uh star in the film and got my brother and nephew and nieces and um we had to uh we had I remember we had a I didn't have any equipment or anything like that editing equipment or cameras or anything all I had was the script and so uh my mom <laughs> had to uh, we had a taco sale, an Indian taco sale, just to get some money uh, to get wardrobe and, and just whatever we could kind of put together. I think we came up with like $200. And, uh, and so we just started kind of borrowing equipment. And uh, we made this little sh uh, short film that, it, again, it was just friends and family. It was kind of just some, something to do for fun. But, and I passed it around to some of my friends. And then about four months later, I get this call from, a film festival in Tulsa and they asked me are you this are you the filmmaker of this movie called The Dare and I said I was 
And they said, well, we want to show it in our film festival. And again, I didn't know too much about film at that time. So I didn't know what a, really, what a film festival really was about. I agreed to do it. And so I go up to Tulsa and I remember walking in and the place was packed. It was, it was, it was a uh, standing room only, but it wasn't, it wasn't for my film. It was for the one before mine. And um, it was, it was an independent uh, movie with uh, Johnny Depp and Martin Brando. I believe Johnny Depp financed it. And so everybody came to see that movie. And of course they would schedule mine right after his. And so <laughs> I remember just walking in thinking, oh, this is a big mistake. I don't want to be here. And they're going to laugh at my movie. Uh, because, you know, you have Johnny Depp financing this one. You know, there's, you know, millions of dollars probably put into it. And then here's mine for $200 <laughs> is the next <laughs> one. And so I sat in the back and, and um, so the, the one I did, it, it was a horror film. And I just remember watching the audience just jump and scream and, and like close their eyes and all the reaction that you're hoping for, they were, they were, it was happening. And it was kind of at that moment that I was like, I was hooked. Like, this is kind of what I want to do. It's just storytell. And so after that, I started just making more projects, writing some more, um, again, friends, family. And every project just kind of got a little bit more bigger, um, more taco sales. And uh, to the point where about 2012, um, I made a movie called Violet that um, was fortunate enough to get into a lot more film festivals that won some awards and started kind of getting my name out there to the point where before then I was, you know, begging people to be in my movies. And now people were, you know, reaching out to me to, to be in it or work, work on, work on crew. And so um, every now and then I just want to take on different challenges, um, different kind of genres. Um, I did a children's comedy for a little bit, a web series. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, I started getting into documentary filmmaking. Um, I'm, I'm really into horror films and paranormal stuff. So my first one was a paranormal documentary and that did pretty well. It kind of reached a lot of native audiences. It was about native, uh, stories and, 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 and places. And so from that type of storytelling as far as documentaries, I started getting into sports, um, and kind of highlighting native athletes to where um, I did a couple of short films and it, it did well at festivals as well. And the ironic thing about that is um, growing up, I hated documentaries. I thought, I thought they, were, they were boring. And something clicked whenever I was, I was making these, um, kind of getting to, to tell their, use their voices to tell their story. Um, what was, was really cool and piecing this puzzle together, trying to, trying to tell their story the right way. And it just kind of launched from there whenever um, it went from narrative films to kind of documentaries to where clients like uh, tribal, uh, some, some nations would contact me about telling um, their history and their stories. And now I think it was 2016 is when I decided to kind of get into freelance filmmaking with digital feather media. And since then, I've been working for um, just different different clientels and still trying to get my work out there as well. So it's it's been kind of a lot of different, um, just taking on different challenges along the way and just 
learning and 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 kind of making your mistakes along the way, but you know, making each project a little bit bigger and a little bit better each time. Your was that the first full length? The first, yeah, the unrest, I believe, was the first, yeah, the first, uh, yeah, feature length uh, film. 2012, I believe, was that one. So, fun fact, that was the first time I had ever heard about the residential schools and all of the things that had happened there. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, grown adult, you know, bachelor's degree, history buff, had never heard of it. And now it's this, it's become so mainstream. I mean, that's got to mean something to you to be one of the first voices to talk about how horrible it was, all of the injustices and the, I mean, just how awful the whole thing was. Yeah. It, 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 I mean, just like you, it was something I, it was, it was shocking that I didn't really know too much about that. And, um, not only that it went on, but just the amount of uh, missing bodies, you know. Um, I, I remember uh, coming across an article about this. So the first one was about residential schools in Canada. So that's kind of what I based the movie on, um, where I forgot the exact timeline, but yeah, throughout a, a, a period of time, like 50,000 Indian kids, really just they had no record. They just kind of just vanished. And to mm-hmm. think that there was no answer, there was no nothing being done about it. And until a few years later, there was a groundskeeper that discovered some remains at one of these schools and it just launched this investigation and you know, they started finding bodies at the bodies of all these different schools across Canada. And it was just shocking that this was not being told. And so, um, yeah, so I wrote that, I wrote that script with, with that story, with that, uh, with that in mind. And, um, now, like I said, now it's kind of coming back to life. There's been more, more stuff being found not only in Canada, but, you know, here, mm-hmm. here, in, here in, in, in the States. And so um, it's uh, something I, I, I actually thought about revisiting, kind of going back and may, maybe uh, maybe reshooting it or because I was, you know, that was my first feature. And, um, you know, when you look back at your early work, you're like, oh, you, you kind of cringe at watching some <laughs> of that stuff. And so now I'm looking back at it, I'm like, oh, I could do so much better now. And, I, and it be, being a topic right now that needs to be told, and you know, that's something I'm thinking about maybe going back and redoing. But uh, Well, I thought of you the other day because I was watching Rhymes for Young Ghouls for mm-hmm. the first time. Have you mm-hmm. watched any of Jeff Barnaby's stuff? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I think you you and he work along the same lines of those using that imagery to tell those hard stories. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, so we, yeah, when, when you're making it, well, when I was making that one, people talk about being a horror film. And I was so bad, I was so like, didn't want to say it was a horror film. I mean, it, to me, I guess it was a thriller. And I mean, and I guess my mind kind of went to making something scary and, and, and suspenseful. But I mean, at the, at the heart of it, that's what it really was about was, telling this truth, you know, telling them. And some of the cast members, you know, were were non-native. And they were, I remember some of them were like halfway through filming. And when I told them, you know, again, that this was based on true stories, they were just shocked. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that this really happened. They thought this is something I kind of just made up. I said, no, this this was something that really, really happened. And so it kind of led them to kind of research and, and learn more about it. Yeah, that's why it's so important to have those voices out there. 
of us telling our stories. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you also visited the uh, boarding school issue with your paranormal project too, which I thought was interesting because that's about the, around the time that I started to get to know you. Um, you you found some interesting footage and got some in, and had some interesting experiences at it was it Willock Academy is that what it was called and which is a boarding school. Mm-hmm. So, can you talk a little bit about those? Yeah, so that was the Native American Paranormal Project, which was a um, it was a paranormal documentary. Well, at first it was supposed to be just one. Uh, the first one we went to was um, the uh, uh, Concho Boarding School in El Reno. And that was something, again, just I wanted to take on more challenges and and just try to piece together a documentary. And I kept hearing stories about about Contra Boarding School and and about what happened out there. And so one of the things I wanted to do was that was different from what you saw on TV. Um, And this is about the time when all these, these ghost hunting shows got really popular. I want to do something a little different from from those was really kind of just tell the to tell the uh, the backstory, the unknown story of what happened in some of these some of these boarding schools. So it was supposed to have been about, about, about that one boarding school. And um, so we went out there and interviewed some of the people, some historians out there, telling some of these these horror happenings that that went on. And then we would go out there one night and and investigate. And if something happens, great. You know, that's kind of what we want. But even if nothing happens, we still have this little, this uh, film put together, kind of telling telling the truth. And so we were fortunate enough to get some unexplained occurrences that night. Um, We screened it in Oklahoma City. And I remember to uh, a packed house, we had to like, you know, had to stop people from coming in. You know, and oh, you know, natives are natives love telling us scary stories and sharing yeah, scary stories. And so people were into it. And again, it's supposed to be like a one time thing. And I remember during the Q&A, we just said, you know, um, I just threw it out there. I said, where should we go next? Everybody's hands went up. Everybody had a place for us to go. <laughs> and so that's what I was thinking. Well, we might have something here. So we looked into a second film and that was We Lock Academy which was an all girls boarding school in Millerton, Oklahoma, which is South, which is Choctaw country. And that one was kind of, kind of hit home because, you know, I, I am Choctaw and, and um, we, uh, some of my, some of my uh, family may have went through there. And I was pretty familiar at that time too. with um, Actually, I went there as, as a kid, uh, we heard about it. We just kind of snuck in at that time and trying to find something spooky. And uh, something happened. I remember back then, and um, now years later, to be able to come back with a with a film crew of sorts to try to um, not only to see what would happen, but also again interview people that work there now, interview some historians and some elders and even former students, and talk about some of the stuff that happened there. And with the same concept, if nothing, if we captured nothing. We still had the story of what happened at Wheelock, uh, but Wheelock was one of those places that was so active. It was we got so many, so many different um, occurrences, and still is one of our more popular ones right now. And then it kind of just um, kind of kept coming. 
Uh, we ended up with seven paranormal documentaries and a lot, a handful of short ones too, um, all across here in Oklahoma. And um, and we've talked about maybe kind of going further out, but you know how how projects are kind of come down to funding, and a lot of that I was funding myself. So right now we're still kind of maybe looking for our next one, but uh, yeah, Wheelock was one of it's one of my favorites just because it's it's a Choctaw story and a lot of bad things happen there. Choctaw Nation kind of I won't say gloss over it, but try to shed a different light on it. Maybe talk about some of the good things and a lot of good things that happened there. You know, some of the students that we talked to said this is that was one of the best times of their lives. Um, but it was in the early years, in the 1902, 1903, where a lot of the deaths happened. And um, but was it Indian, was it a federal government school at that time? When, when did the tribe actually, take over? Yeah, the tribe was uh, was running it at the time. Okay. Um, it was some of the some of the instructors and teachers they brought in was probably not doing the right things, and um, so and we talked about that in the film. Um, I was trying to give it a good balance. I didn't want to say it was a totally bad place. Um, again, a lot of a lot of uh, girls who became um, they learned a lot from there, and they said it was one of the best times of their lives. But the reality is some didn't have that same experience. Mm -hmm. um, some of their experiences were cut short because they were killed. And so um, we kind of had to talk about both sides just to kind of be fair about it. And we kind of had that same concept with all the places that we've been to too. Well, I have always avoided your work because it scares the bejesus out of me. <laughs> Angela doesn't like scary stuff. I love uh, scary stuff, so I'm like, <laughs> When I was watching it, yeah, it, it, it's interesting, and, and especially because it's true. It's know. true, and I think one of the things that um, we get a lot of, we would get a lot of reactions and voices and, and, and apparitions is because when we go to these places, we're speaking in the language, too. If we happen to have someone who is Choctaw or Seminole or wherever, wherever we're at, we would try to speak in the language, and, and I think that that stirs something up. Oh, that so, gives me chills. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so we had a couple of Choctaw members on that one so it was able to yeah. kind of speak Choctaw and and um it it, it was and, and I think um they 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 can feed off energy they can they can they can feed off you and when we approach these places as opposed to a non-native group they're going in there to for either for ratings or trying to prove something we, we're coming in there with a different um approach you know, we're just trying to storytell. And because we know what happened to our people, there's more of a, well, I guess we're, we're, we're sensitive to it and the way we ask things. And I think it, they're more approachable, I guess, to us, especially when we're speaking in, at that, in that particular place, Choctaw. Um, we, we got a couple of voices where uh, a girl was telling our female uh, investigators to stop talking when they were speaking in Choctaw and because you know the girls got in trouble back then for speaking their yeah. language yeah that's how active that's how strong those places were that they were warning these other uh females that are with us to you know be quiet they're coming and so yeah it was um it, it's a different feeling whenever we, we would capture something because it's almost a sadness that comes with it and a connection that we can have with it too. So I think that's what separates what we did to what other people did. 
Yeah. How do you recover from that? I mean, um, I know physically one of the, the, the things when we know we're at a place where there's a lot of activity, it drains you. Um, we're, we're to the next couple of days of sleeping because it just, it just, it just zaps the energy. But whenever we're, uh, when we were screening different places, um, I remember when we, especially with Relock, um, we took it to Tulsa at that same film festival I talked about earlier. And one of the students came up to me and she was in tears and just talking about just being grateful that someone is talking about this and, and, and telling it. And she just remembered she couldn't tell her family uh, about some of those things. And something she kind of guess she just kind of kept it inside for the longest time. She just kind of just put that out of her memory or, or just maybe just pretend it didn't happen. But the fact that we went out there and we're telling it, um, she was just just really glad that someone is doing it and, and it, that it was us and not really a non-native group doing it too. So that kind of energy though is like you said, it we we're sensitive to it. You know, I, I mean I I I know things have happened to my family and and I've heard stories from a, a lot of other people from Oklahoma who have, you know, ghost stories mm -hmm. and things happen to them. You know, do, are you afraid that maybe you're gonna carry some of that with you? Like that not the energy, but I guess those you attract, the spirits that you attract with you. Do you do you feel like that that's something that's kind of you're having to deal with now, even, even after all this time? Like, some, like something follows you home or? or yeah. Something just, yeah. Never, we, we would, we would smudge before we'd leave and we would, we, and we would smoke off and we would, uh, so we would do that. We would also just, um, just also just talk to tell us that they're not welcome to follow us and stay here. Um, and, uh, except for one instance, um, we've never had any problems as far as anything kind of following us home. Um, we, one of our team members, uh, thinks one of the girls from Wheelock may have followed him home. Uh, but other than that, uh, we've never had any instances like that. Um, yeah. but so we, we just try to take certain precautions and, and when we get there and when we're leaving as well. Yeah. Being on the old, like, um, I guess native lands, those, the ones that we were removed to, um, you know, even when I go like to Seminole, even when I go to Ada, there's a different energy. I feel mm -hmm. like in, in the Southeast part of Oklahoma, there's just a different energy from here in the central part. Um, do you, do, when you go to certain places, do you feel that energy? Like, can, can you recognize it when something's there. Yeah, I, I think so. Especially after we've done these a few times, you, you can kind of um, not get familiar with it, but you can recognize when it's something it's something different, um, yeah. and, and or something bad. You know, there's been some places, or um, I've told some people that there, if it's something that's, I would say, almost demonic or something that could be dangerous, and we just won't do it. But if it's something that we're, we're just trying to tell these stories, basically give a voice to. Um, to the to the past, the ones who can't speak no more, uh, we're trying to tell tell their story and what happened. And so, when we go there, yeah, there, there's just some kind of a connection, almost a sadness. Um, some places where you can almost feel like where you're not wanted to, and mm -hmm. um, we've just done it a few times to where I think you can you can kind of pick up on it, maybe a little bit easier. Um, but yeah. Um, 
going into a lot of these projects too. I do research before we even go out there. So I'll interview a lot of people, find out maybe which room is more active or what maybe um, is said or what songs are sung or something that might um, create some kind of energy where they might want to manifest and talk to us. And so going into it, we kind of already know that. And I'll have my team members have assignments. And they'll say or do certain things to kind of maybe help uh, help them come and want to talk to us. And so um, I think I really think it does kind of come down to our connection to that that land. And um, I think they can tell that we're that we're there for different reasons. We're there for the right reasons. We're not trying to um, uh, antagonize or instigate, or get them mad or anything. You know, we just kind of want to talk and and um, because we don't have high dollar equipment, anything. A lot of times we have our cell phones out or just different things, but we get a lot of reactions. I think is because of that, that and just kind of speaking the language too. Do you ever feel like you're giving them peace? Like, I, th- I think I, I think so. Maybe because um, we talk. You know, when we when we are talking. Even if we if we're in a room and we're trying to get something and nothing's happening, we'll say stuff like that, and when we're leaving, uh, we'll thank them. We'll thank them for talking to us. Um, there's when when we are leaving the, those places, um, even though it does, like I said, it just drains drains you. I don't know. Sometimes it just kind of feels like that that we we might have done something good here, um, and we're kind of excited about what what we're gonna find and get it out there so it for me it kind of feels like that so before we started our interview you said you were in your office and you heard some noises yeah did did you say something i don't i'm kind of behind me now so (laughs) (laughs) i'm looking (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i'm i'm actually uh in seminole right now i live in shawnee but I'm the uh, communications and media director for uh, Simple Nation. And our office is north of town. And so I was working late anyway. And this podcast came by the time I was going to wrap it up. So I just ended up staying here. Um, so we are at a building called Pumahagan. And I forgot the Seminole word. You, you know what it means? I forgot what Pumahagan means. But I want to say yeah. our, our place, our land, or something like that. But... Um, so we're at the place called Pumahaga, Pumahaga Building. It used to be an immersion school for the Seminoles here for a few years. Before that, it was a church. And so it's been here for a while. We get some things that happen here uh, during our daytime, during working hours, uh, to the point where we've had to smudge here. Um, things have knocked off. My equipment will move every now and then. Um, yeah, so... Um, as we're as I'm talking right now, I'm kind of looking around. Um, we'll hear things throughout throughout the daytime, and um, one room in particular. Every time we, we would we would smudge um, when one when we exit that room, the door was slammed shut, and it's happened on two occasions and just by itself. And so, um, and when we do that, things will kind of die down for a little bit, but then it'll, it'll stir back up. And, you know, it's always been my experience, too. Whenever you start talking about them, it, uh, like I said, they feed off your energy. And so me just talking about it, we might have some things happening tomorrow now. So my coworkers <laughs> might not be happy. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> have you thought about setting up a camera and seeing if you catch anything? 
I've I've mentioned that to them before. Half of them are so yeah, let's do it. Other half are just like Angela. They're scared. They they said if if you find something, <laughs> I'm not coming to work here anymore. So. <laughs> Okay, well, I don't want you to get any anything happening to you, so <laughs> we'll move on. Um, you you had the Paranormal Project. You have a couple of feature films, um, and then you started doing these documentaries. And like you said, documentaries weren't your thing. So mm -hmm. why why did you go that route? The first one, well, the, the Paranormal documentaries, is what kind of broke the ice, I guess. That I like using the interviews and using people's um, stories and using their words to kind of create this puzzle, almost to. Uh, you know, with, when you're writing uh, with narrative films, you're writing a script and, you know, you're 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 pre-planning everything, you're planning your shots and everything. And then you go shoot it. Documentaries is, is it's a, just a different beast. You know, it's a different style. And it was kind of fun. I, I kind of realized how fun it was to not know what's going to happen next or not know what they're going to say. And then once you have it, using what they say to um combined with whatever you shoot to tell the story pacing and everything it, it was kind of fun just putting this puzzle together almost and so i just started it went from this paranormal documentaries to uh the first one i did was one called beans uh it was about this girl her nickname was beans and she was chickasaw and choctaw and a really good golfer she was only eight years old at the time but she was just one of the best in, in the country and uh, but I was really good friends with with the, with uh, her mom, so I just um, hit her up and said, "Hey, I'm, I want to do this little documentary about about your daughter. Um, would you be open for that?" So she said yes, and and so we did that. And it at the time it was again just trying to um, take on another challenge, and it was fun. And it, it somehow ended up in festivals again. It won a couple of awards, and that kind of just woke something in me to do another one, then do another one. And it just became kind of fun. And I kind of stuck with sports a lot because, you know, I love sports and I would highlight a native athlete who was on top of their game. The reason I did that was because I wanted to show their struggle to, to where, how they got to the top. Um, kind of give um, a message, I guess, to um, to our youth to see that People that they already look up to, um, that they that they were just like you, and they started like you. They're gonna they struggled, and um, if you know, say if you, if you're trying to achieve something, um, you're gonna have times where you don't make it, and um, you know, just kind of keep at it. And so, um, using these these native athletes and kind of tell their story and tell their journey, um, all their setbacks was kind of why I did I picked on picked on some of those topics. Um, and then kind of just went from there to where my, the biggest one I did at that point was Chocolate Nation uh, came to me about doing a stickball film. That was 2017, uh, following their stickball team. And uh, at that point, at that time, that was the biggest one I took on because I followed them for a whole year uh, telling their stories. So that's kind of got how I got into the sports part of it. And stickball is interesting so, because not... Not a lot of people know about stickball, even though it's very much like lacrosse. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, like the, the golf thing is, you know, you, you pick it with like a, a, what do they call a wonderkin, you know, protege. And then yeah. two boxing, which, you know, showcased a female struggle and the male struggling with their, in the boxing world. And then where your coach 
that was basketball, right? Yeah, that was the basketball coach, yeah. So, but now stickball, and nobody knows about stickball. Well, not everybody knows about stickball outside of our own nations. So um, what has that reception been like for that outside of, of, of Indian nations? Um, a lot of people are surprised how rough it is. And, and I think um, a lot, uh, one of the things that intrigues a lot of them is, is what it was used for, you know, being called the little brother of war. Um, the game was developed to solve disputes between between warring tribes or tribes that are instead of going to war, you know, they create this game and um, whoever won would, you know, if, if it was over land or water or whatever, they would honor that. And that's how they settled it. So instead of going to war and losing half your village, they played this game. And it was just, um, I think a lot of non-natives who are seeing it for the first time think, oh, that's, a, that's, you know, it's a great concept. I mean, that they came up with this and that everybody is going to honor that too. And, um, but also they're, they're, they're fighting for something. So of course the game is going to be rough, you know, and I think that kind of carries over to what it is today. Um, it, it really was kind of the birthplace of a lot of try a lot of games nowadays, you know, as far as Choctaw stick ball, you know, you had the, when they tossed the ball up, you know, that looks like basketball, you know, jump ball. Um, you got the two goals on the end, again, basketball, or you got a field goal in football, tackling. Um, so there's a lot of elements that you see um, with hockey, soccer, that kind of came from Choctaw stickball. Um, the earliest uh, accounts of the game, I think, I believe was 1729. So that would make it the oldest sport in America. And so... Um, the fact that they're still playing it today, and even though it's not to sell disputes, you know, the passion is still there, the love for it is still there, the connection is still there. And so that's something I learned whenever I started making the film is how much of a connection it was. And I started playing a little bit after I started making it, and it definitely is. I mean, um, <laughs> I grew up playing basketball, and that was my first love was basketball. Now, picking up sticks, that had the same feeling that I had whenever I was playing ball. I remember when I was younger, you know, if I had a bad day, I would go out and shoot. I would feel better, you know, just, just the sounds of playing basketball and hearing the net and everything, hearing net swish. Now it's stick ball for me, you know, hearing, hearing the sticks and hearing the ball at the pole. There's something kind of therapeutic about it. And um, I think it just kind of comes back to that connection to what our ancestors did. So, um, just being able to capture that on a film and and put it out there to stickball players who watch it, love the film, and then non-natives who see it for the first time are just like in awe of how rough it is and how tough these girls are. I know that was my first thought. I was like, man, these girls are mean. <laughs> <laughs> my mom was had um, I told her about it, and you know, I showed her the trailer, and she was like, Are they wearing shoes? And I'm like, some of them aren't. Some, some of them don't. Yeah, are, some of them don't. Those girls are tough. Yeah. Oh my gosh, what athletes! They get, I mean, broken, broken bones, and uh, during the World Series, there's uh, paramedics there just waiting uh, to cart them off, and you know, if they get hurt or break a bone or whatever, and um, after every night during the World Series, uh, it's, it's a two-week tournament, so there's a lot. It, it's night after night after night. 
that hospital is full of players just waiting to be seen because they're taking them to the to the hospital. Um, but some of them will also play through it. They'll play through broken bones and um, and sprains and bloody up and everything. So it's um, yeah, they're tough, but it's just it's just a testament to what the game means to them. So talk about the uh, how this film came to being. You know, who who approached you, or or who did you approach to to start? So um, I did the film with uh, Choctaw Nation, uh, Tushka Nawataya, and yeah, again that did that did well at the festivals, and so it kind of got stickball on the map, and me as a filmmaker uh, about stickball, I guess, on the map. Um, I am Mississippi Choctaw, so that's where I'm from, too. Uh, my family is from Standing Pine Reservation in Mississippi. Oh, okay. The World Series has um, 10 to 12 teams. It kind of depends on each year, I guess. But they come from these different communities, these different reservations that make up the Mississippi Band of Choctaw Indians. And as a recent... The uh, Chickasaw team here in Oklahoma, Chikasha Tolley, sends a team out there. And then, of course, you got Choctaw Nation. They send a team out there. So I was doing these little stickball um, videos. And my cousin from Standing Pine called me up one day and said, hey, I'm the new coach for Standing Pine. Um, would you want to come down and maybe shoot like a hype reel, a highlight video? And I said, yeah, yeah, that sounds fun. Let, let's do it. And as it got closer, I was in between projects. I was trying to think of what I want to do next, what, what feels right. And um, I thought, well, I did this stickball film for uh, Choctaw Nation. You know, let me see if I can do one for uh, the Mississippi Choctaw. So I called them back. said, let's, you want to do a short film? You know, you want to do a hype reel, but let's maybe add a couple of interviews in it too, you know. To kind of tell you know the, the story or, or introduce some of the girls to uh, to the rest of the world, so they said yeah, and it ended up being um, we said maybe like a five minute film, and I started going down there and kind of getting put into the practices, getting to know some of the players, and it just started getting bigger and bigger to the point where um, I said well let's just start you know interviewing, following you guys, and, you know getting the home life and. Um, the behind the scenes kind of stuff to really kind of tell what this team is about and what it takes to kind of keep a team together. Um, and we shot for 13 days during the summer of, uh, of last year. And so practices before, um, interviews before, and then the games. And I don't really want to give it away of what happened, but just the way the game was developed, the way it, it, almost like you couldn't script it way it happened and um we filmed for 13 days i went back for four more days after that to get some more interviews but it ended up being about 17 days total so it started from just really a hype reel to this little mini mini documentary that we did and um they're they're excited um i'm excited not a whole lot of films come out of um from mississippi uh especially Standing Pine, you know, it's, like I said, it's one of the smallest tribes out there, or smallest reservations out there. So they're excited to see their name, to see their um, images on the big screen and going traveling all across the country. So just having 
a small part in doing that is is pretty uh, gratifying for me to get their name out there. Um, you know, did, it, did it's you traveling to. Did you have a, a premiere there at the reservation? Yeah. So May of last year, um, we had a private screening for the team. And um, yeah, yeah, they loved it. Um, they they were just kind of, I guess, again, they don't have a lot of stuff coming out of, you know, Mississippi. And to see it, something kind of put together, I think they were pretty um, kind of surprised. And uh, so they were they were just as private too as I was. Um, I just recently went back a couple of weekends ago and showed it publicly uh, to the tribe and um, got the same response. Um, I think they were surprised as, as how well it put together because, you know, they're just used to the World Series. Stickball is life down there. It's, a, it's an everyday thing for them. And um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lifestyle. And so they don't think too much of it. To us, to me, it's a big deal. To them, it's not a big deal. And so um, to see it put on film and the way it kind of came out, I think they were just, to see it in, in, a, in a movie style, I think really surprised them. And, and I think they've been really thankful about it. And I'm glad to see it travel. Um, it's been doing well and getting some awards. And that's just a testament to, to them, you know, to their story and to their passion for it. So um, it's, uh, you know, I, I tell them it's cool to see places like in Los Angeles and Hollywood, where it's, it's going to be screening here pretty soon, saying the words, Tiakakia Ahoyo, which never would have been done if it wasn't for this movie. People was going to see their faces out there here in Los Angeles and from a small reservation. Now it's going to be over here in Hollywood. So um, I think they're pretty, pretty high up about it. So, yeah, tell, talk about how or what, what you're talking about in LA, what's happening in LA with this? It got accepted to the LA Scans uh, Fest and uh, one of the top, one of the most prestigious uh, film festivals. And um, that was one of the ones I really wanted to have my fingers crossed that it, that it would get picked and, and it did. So um, yeah, it's just pretty excited. It's gonna be playing alongside some really, really cool, uh, great films and um, just to get it out there. I mean, every, everyone it gets into is, is, is exciting for me because um, it just started with just a hype reel and I still get, you know, kind of giddy with every film that I do and it gets accepted and you know it's going to be on the big screen and still get nervous and everything. But um, so LA Skins Fest is, is coming up. Um, we just got word literally about three or four hours ago. It got accepted into San Pedro International Film Festival. Uh, in January, so it's still making its rounds, um, and every time it's just as exciting. And when is it screening in LA? It's going to be screening in LA uh, Sunday, this Sunday, at uh, twelve o'clock um, at the uh, I think I think it's believe it's called the TLC Chinese Theater in Hollywood. That well, probably awesome. won't air in time for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's so awesome though. I mean, the, the, the film to me was really emotional. I, 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 find my, I found myself really invested in the team and in their success. So, you know, um, whenever these girls were laughing, I was laughing when they were hurt. I was concerned whenever they were crying, I was crying and I was crying by the end of the film. So, you know, it, it, 
you you feel their emotion you feel their excitement you feel everything that's coming off of them and not everybody can do that with a film so you know that that was I thought that was one of the great things about the about your work is that you can feel that emotion coming out of it thank you thank you and and, and I still get emotional I'm, I've seen this you know as you know I put it together so I've seen it hundreds of times but whenever I'm sitting there with an audience you know I, I still get emotional during those times and I, I still cheered during during the the, the high times and um yeah. you know there I mean you, you, you saw the trailer too so you kind of know that they do well in one of the games but I remember one of the highlights of the of the tournament um I forget that I'm filming sometimes and yeah. there was a part where where the team kind of ran onto the field and and you see the camera kind of shake because I almost ran out there with them because I'm invested in them as well. I'm pulling for them. This is my this is my home. This is my reservation. So I almost took off with them. And about three steps in, I realized, oh yeah, I'm filming. I'm making a movie here. So <laughs> call me, collect myself, and get my footage. But I almost took off with them. And and then you 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 feel for them, you hurt for them. But um, I, you know, I, I was just grateful that they opened up. Um, you know how natives are; they can be shy sometimes. And you know, before the camera and the lights come on, they're just talking away. But uh, when it's when they're talking about something they're passionate about, which is stickball, you know, they opened up and was able to share some things that normally um, they probably wouldn't have. But um, yeah, yeah I, it, the film is doing well, and 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 I, and it it is because of them. You know, them opening up and just kind of sharing some things that uh, is is dear to them and 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 the highs and how 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 it made them feel just excited and happy but then those lows um it can it can bring you to tears and they were able to do that on, on screen so uh, film is doing well but it's because of them well and i you know when i was watching it i couldn't help but think that this is as well done with the pacing and the subject as anything i've ever watched on espn any of those doc documentaries. So well done. Wow. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. A lot of those films, yeah, they're, they've kind of inspired me to, I mean, just the, the way they, their camera work and stuff, you can kind of see how some of I, I've done some of that too, but um, um, thank you. That, that, that really means a lot. So yeah, ESPN, if you're listening. You <laughs> yeah. Pick it up. Pick it up. <laughs> yeah. And these girls have a lot of heart, um, you know, when they were talking about why they play, it wasn't just oh. to championship it, you know, it was for their families, mm -hmm. for their ancestors, and, you know, for themselves, you know, which to me is probably the best reason to want to win, you know, instead of just having that trophy. I mean, trophies are nice, but, you know, the feeling of, of winning for your people is, is way much more meaningful. Yeah. Yeah, it really was more than just a game. I mean, yeah, like you said, championships are are, are great to get, but um, you saw in the film why it was more, uh, and it it hurt. It hurt for some of them. Um, the good the good times felt great, but then some of those bad times, and so it's just a uh, something that they go through every year, every year, and, and um, yeah. So how many how many teammates are on one team? I I'm not that familiar with stickball, so so it 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 can depend on the year really. But 
on the field at that at, at one time you'll have 30 players on the field and oh so God. you'll have normally uh you would probably have 10 uh, as your shooters it's, it's a football field so it's 100 yards so you have you could have 10 um by the by the goalpost and then you have 10 in the middle what they call centers and 10 defenders and they could kind of vary they could they, they may go heavy on centers or whatever but it's it's 30 30 for your team and 30 for them so it, it, during the game there's 60 players on the field now you'll have on your roster uh, i think that, that year Stan Pine had, I think, maybe 85 girls on the roster. Whoa. So you have 30 on the field. Then you have 40 to 50 players on the sidelines ready to come in. Um, there's some players, or there's, there's some teams that have over 120 girls on the roster. My goodness. And um, there's, like I said, eight, nine, ten teams for the, for every tournament. So a lot of a lot of a lot of girls play the game, and you know, in the in the men's tournament as well. And so, yeah, they love the game. They have, and uh, um, it, it, it's, it's exciting. And, and the players come out. I mean, the, the fans come out to watch and root for their community. And it's just a just a different atmosphere. Um, you know, you, you, you have football games. Fans come to you know cheer their football teams on. But there's just a, a different vibe, a different level down there. Um, you can just feel it from from the, when the drummers walk in. Um, they're playing for more than just championships. They're playing for you know community pride. They're playing for their ancestors. And I remember whenever I was filming in 2018 with Choctaw Nation, I walked and I, I heard about that feeling. Whenever you walk into the field, you're walking in with the drum. Um, and so I kind of want to experience it with myself. But I'm filming as well, so I'm working. But being a competitor and playing ball my whole life. I remember going to the field and just, I was getting hyped. I wanted to get out there and play, um, walking with the team. And I was, you know, they're jumping up and down and they're hollering and, and I was getting excited. And I wanted to, you know, grab a jersey and get out there and play with Chocolate Nation too. And just, I was like, well, maybe for one quarter, maybe I'll get out there and play. with them. And then we walked in and I think they were playing a team called Book Chill. And, um, I remember Bochita walking in, and they had some huge, huge guys. And I quickly was like, well, I'll just keep filming. I, I, I'm going <laughs> to be on the sideline. Um, they look pretty big. And so, but um, but since then, um, yeah, I started kind of playing a little bit and practicing some. And, and I got to play this past year, uh, the World Series, for the first time. So that was uh, a great experience, just walking through there as a player. Um, didn't play a whole lot, but I got there for a little bit. At least I can say that. <laughs> what team were you on i played with tuscahoma uh, with, with uh, the chocolate nation team um this past year standing pine didn't have a team a, a men's team so i played with tuscahoma um and you know a lot of my buddies play for over here too and they practiced here so i was able to kind of practice with them and, and, and play with them and it, it was a lot of fun just getting out there on the field and getting knocked around a little bit and just uh, just experiencing it was awesome and something I'm hoping my boy uh, would, would, would do someday. So at least I can tell him that I played and maybe get him to get out there sometime. Those kids down there, they have youth games too. Yeah. They're rough. They get after it. <laughs> I mean, their, their skill level is just on a different level and, and they're fun to watch and they take it serious too. Yeah. Um, those, those little kids, when they lose, 
there's tears in their eyes and I mean, they're playing with everything they got. And one, because they, they see mom and daddy do it and they want to make mom and daddy proud. And, and um, it's just a lifestyle down there. Just awesome. And the men's rules are the same as the women's rules. Yeah. Um, I, I would think it's the same. Um, what's interesting too is, you know, with, with uh, Choctaw stick ball, women can touch sticks. I know with like Seminoles and Creeks, that's not, you know, that's a no, no, you know, they don't, they're not supposed to touch sticks and, and um, Choctaw. Um, when I was, I was doing the research for this film, I found some documents, some old uh, uh, like priests, like journals, whenever like missionaries would come through and they'd write in these journals and they talked about watching the women, uh, the Choctaw women playing way back in the 1800s, 1700s. So Choctaw women have always been, have always played it. Um, it went away for a while and then they brought it back, but um, it's something that's always kind of been with the Choctaw people. So um, I know with, um, you know, kind of being right here in, in Seminole country, um, whenever I started putting the movie out, that was something that was kind of different for them seeing women with sticks. But, you know, they hit sometimes harder than the guys do. I don't know why. Maybe they're just mean. I don't know. But they come, they, they come with it. They come with it. So I was always uh, told that you don't play with sticks, but you can push guys and the guy, but the guys can't push you. For like Seminoles and yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there, there's a social they 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 play and so uh women can tackle the men. And yeah, the, the men can't tackle uh, <laughs> the women. And uh, they start one part of the rough advantage is, you know, from the game that yeah. we can tackle and they can't. So <laughs> <laughs> they get they get sticks, we get to tackle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty. The rules is pretty much as far as I can think about right now. I think it's across the board. It's pretty much the same. Um, there's pretty much just do whatever it takes to stop from scoring. But there's like you can't hit hit on the head with the sticks. Um, they started like a few years back, uh, no early hits and late hits. Um, that used to not be the case. They used to let that go, but I think I didn't think too many people were getting hurt. So they kind of implement some rules when they can. Um, but for the most part, it's just kind of do whatever you can to stop the other team from scoring. And like I said, it's like football, but there's no paddings, no helmets or anything. So they're being slammed to the ground without any kind of you know safety equipment, and yeah. they bounce for the most part, they bounce right back up and they keep going. And, um, you know, one of the things that they, they supposed to be, this is supposed to be, you know, our, our, our medicine game. And, and it's, you're not supposed to get um, angry. You're not, you know, you're supposed to play, you know, play with a good heart and a good mindset. And, you know, you're playing for the love of it and, and, and for the right reasons. But, I mean, with anything, sometimes fights do break out but that you're kind of taught not to, I mean, you're taught to not play with hate or anger, um, but it, it does happen from time to time. I've only ever played social games. So <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get hurt. <laughs> but we had some tournaments here at OU, the fraternity would do stickball. And one year they did it for prize money and things got pretty rough when, when they <laughs> were. <so. laughs> it was, it was like a, like a, uh, a full tournament where they or like a social game or um it was a full tournament and okay. well i think it was only men's so i think only men tournament or teams entered at that that year and then 
Um, but there wasn't very many because they were college. They had to be college teams. Okay. Okay. Like five or six, maybe that showed up. So, but so is, also, it gr- is it growing? I mean, are, is there more and more interest? Talking about at OU or hit? Just in general. At OU, it's it's more more social than now it is. The the Choctaw language and the Creek language um, instructors will have like social games on the North South Oval, and that's about as far as it goes here on college campus. But um, as far as I know, it's also a growing. There's a community like the uh, Chickasaw team; they mm-hmm. practice the community, and people will go out and watch them, and people will go out and want to play with them and everything. So yeah, it's I think it's growing. Um, in different communities around the state and in in across the country so it's definitely growing up with with uh, the Choctaw Nation it has um I remember whenever I was younger it wasn't that big a deal I mean it wasn't it was around um if if you've heard of the uh Choctaw Nation Labor Day Festival they would have it during during then they had more like a exhibition or like a demonstration but there was never any tournaments or anything like that. So whenever I was younger, I just played basketball. Um, I didn't know too much about stickball it was, or really wasn't around where I, where I was from, which is in Bennington. And so there was nobody playing stickball in Bennington. So it just wasn't, it just wasn't as popular. It wasn't as around, but there was a resurgence um, around uh, 2005, 2004, somewhere around there where it started becoming more popular. And I, I want to say 2010 or 11 is when Tushkoma sent a team to the World Series for the first time. And, you know, they got their butts kicked, but they learned um, how to play, kind of play Mississippi style and, and, and what it's going to take to get better. And so they came back and just started teaching more and more. Uh, they created a youth league. And last I remember, there was about 700 players, 700 youths playing in these youth leagues. And so kind of what happens is the youth league, once the players age out, which means when they turn 18, they'll play for Tuscahoma now. And so you're kind of getting, back then it was just learning the game. You're teaching adults how to play. Now kids are growing up here in Oklahoma. Kids are growing up knowing how to play. And so the skill level is getting a lot better. Um, they're getting better. They're getting closer. But like I said, in Mississippi, it's, um, it's just a different, different level. Um, kids, when they first start walking, they're carrying sticks in Mississippi. Oh, wow. Here, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a different lifestyle. And uh, so they're, they're still kind of up here and Talk to Nation is catching up. But um, it's just good to see that it's kind of coming back here and that people are teaching their kids here. Um, the the Tuscoma Ohio, the, the women's team are doing really well. Um, they made it to the semifinals this past year at, at the World Series. And they're kind of before it was kind of if you saw Tuscoma on the bracket, you knew you were gonna win a game. It's not the case anymore. Um, the women's team are doing really good to the point where you have to watch out for them. You know, they may be in the finals here pretty soon. That's awesome. <laughs> That, that is pretty awesome. So what other projects do you have coming up? Um, it was a perfect transition. We were talking about the women's team. That's one of the ones I'm, I'm thinking I wanted to do. Um, 
last year while I was filming down there, uh, the Tuscoma Hoyo team won for the very first time ever in the history of, of, of their of the team existence in the World Series. I happen to have footage of that of that game. This past July, they made it to the semifinals. I got footage of that of those games. And then during a Labor Day festival, they won it for the first time in, in, in their history. I got footage of that. And so I'm, I've, without even kind of knowing it, I'm just off here shooting footage just to shoot because I enjoy stickball. I got this, I got their journey already kind of ready put on film to the point where, you know, we can start talking to talk to a nation or start talking to anybody who might want to fund it to where let's tell their journey to where maybe we follow them next year to next year's World Series. and and see what happens. And so that's something I've been kind of, uh, kind of piecing together. Um, I do, like I said, I'm a freelance filmmaker, so I got some other uh, work that I'm doing for different clients, but one I'm producing myself is that one. Um, and I, and I kind of still want to get back to, you know, my first love was writing and, and, and directing and working with actors. So, uh, when I find free time, I kind of get back to get back to that. Uh, I'm writing a short film right now um about about Choctaw medicine and um it's just basically just kind of finding time to get back to that and um hopefully we can start putting that one together any plans to get back to uh finding ghosts <laughs> I, I i remember the last one we did was two years ago and it uh it takes a lot of time to do those uh not only kind of the research part of it but you know the the editing because um we have all these different everybody's different cameras so i'm watching everybody's footage and you know you're watching for um apparitions or voices so you really have to pay attention to all the footage and watch every part of the frame make sure there's no faces popping out or something so you, it takes a long time to edit, to edit those and i just got really uh busy with uh, uh just working with different clients and different tribes and and uh, i mean it's a good problem to have but it, it kind of leave, doesn't leave me a lot of time to do paranormal documentaries. Yeah. But sometimes when I'm telling uh, stories with other people and they start telling their stories, I get excited to where I want to do another one. And um, it's just a matter of kind of picking a location that has a, a, a history that needs to be told and then kind of funding and just kind of getting out there. So um, the last one day was about two three years ago, I think, and um, haven't said no, we're not doing another one, but I haven't said we, uh, we are. <laughs> well, it sounds like you're sitting on one right now. I, I know, yeah. I could just start <laughs> filming here. And... <laughs> <laughs> so um, Angela and I have been, uh, you know, we've been doing some interviews with some different filmmakers and we really want a rom-com. Any chance you might want to write that up for us? <laughs> what? A rom-com. Oh, I wrote one. I wrote one a while back. Um, yeah. Y'all, y'all, know, y'all, know Stephen, Stephen Judd, and uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I wrote one. It's one of my first, uh, my second script I wrote. It was, it was, uh, it was a feature, a feature-length screenplay. And every now and then, he would hit me up and remind me about that. Said he, he remembered like liking that one. So you should do that. You should do that one. And uh, I forgot. Uh, oh, I do remember it. I don't know why he liked it. I thought it was bad. Now, now that I'm thinking about it, it was pretty bad. But he, I think he, he said he really liked it. And he would every now and then kind of say, you, you, you didn't make that one. 
And so, well, but I have. Well, are easy, so I could see how you might think it's bad. <laughs> maybe, maybe. We need a good rom-com. Somebody needs to. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be fun to do. Like I say, I, I, I always look for different challenges and different genres to do. So well, we'll, see. we'll see. It'd be a challenge. It would be a challenge. That'd be, that'd be fun too, though. Or or a heist movie. Ooh, oh, that would be, that would be yeah. fun. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So are you going to, are you planning on screening any of your work, other, your, your past work anytime soon? A retrospect? Um, like the old stuff, the old stuff, I, I don't want anybody to see them anymore. They're just, they're just, I don't know. Like, again, you cringe at your old work. People still watch it. Around October, um, everybody wants to watch scary stuff. And so my paranormal stuff will kind of get back out there and, and uh, they'll watch it here at work too. They'll watch it here at work sometimes on their lunch break, of course. But, uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> but. Um, they're watching it here, and I'm like, "Don't, oh, don't watch that! Don't watch that!" But uh, the old stuff, it's out there. It's out there, and you know, I'm proud of it because it kind of got me to where I, I am today. But um, there, I, I want to share my work, like 2016 on up. I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with anything before <laughs> that. I don't, I don't people see, but um. Everything I've done in the past, for the most part, is just on YouTube, and it's always out there. Um, as far as screening it, I, we haven't thought about it because, like I said, it's just on YouTube. And it's you know available for anybody to see. Um, well, Shiloh is actually on Amazon uh, Prime, so you can see it there. But um, uh, we have um, two of my movies, I think, at the Choctaw Cultural Center in Durant that's on a regular um time schedule over there the uh um i think tesco know what i is out there as well and uh, ikiana lachi was the one i did um last year it was released last year too it was about an unknown trail of tears and um that's showing at the cultural center pretty much uh, i think at least once a week or maybe every day well i'll ask you what i've asked my other or other guests what are you reading or watching or listening to or consuming that is inspiring you right now? Um, a lot of, a lot of these 30 for thirties right now, these ESPN, we, you mentioned that kind of a while ago is I just been, been kind of watching and studying that watching just they, they pick sometimes odd stories, but they really make it interesting. And so that's kind of what I watch to see is, how they make something, I'll see a subject matter, but how would that even be interesting? It's, uh, you know, or there, there's a, they, they focus on a fight, a basketball, a fight that happened in their basketball game. But just the way of storytelling, the, the research they, they do put it, they put into it. Um, so that kind of really fascinates me. Uh, it kind of comes back to um, the challenges of, like I keep saying this, but you, you kind of putting a puzzle together. And that just seems kind of fun and, and telling different stories. And so um, I've been kind of digging myself into those lately, um, studying what uh, not only the way they story tell, but just like the camera work too. Um, so everything is just, I'm just like a sponge, I guess, just trying to take on these different kinds of genres and different styles of storytelling too. Well, 
And what advice would you give your younger self? My younger self? Um, I would, I remember I would get frustrated at times. And this is what I tell other, other filmmakers too, I guess when I'm getting into it is um, don't compare yourself to other filmmakers. Um, don't look at their success and think why is it not happening to me yet uh, and, 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 and or try to copy what they're doing, you know. Um, tell the stories you want to tell. Know your vision and just stay with it. Um, you know, it's going to happen. And, and so I remember I was doing that early on is I was looking at other, other people that are doing good things and, and my work just maybe wasn't getting noticed and it, it would be kind of frustrating or you think like, why them? Why, why not me? But when you start start, you know, staying true to yourself, you start telling the stories you want to tell. It's fun. It's still fun. And the end product you have, it's, it's still something you want to tell and you can be proud of it. And um, just keep doing that. It's going to get noticed eventually. And just keep doing that. Otherwise, you're making if you try to copy somebody else, you see someone else has been successful. If you make a movie like theirs, it's not really your movie. It's not really your voice. And so that's why I say just tell the stories you want to tell and do it your way and don't compare yourself to anybody. Okay, my question, if there, I guess who is maybe one actor or one director that you would like to work with, past or present? This goes back to me wanting to do to get back into uh, making narrative films, and this guy, um, people either hate him or, or like his work, uh, but M. Night Shyamalan was one of my my guys back then, because um, if you remember when he did uh, Sixth Sense, after a while everybody started doing the twist endings and everything for a while. But he was kind of one of the ones that really first did it, where the movie just, just flipped once it happened. And that was kind of something that, that caught my attention and his style of storytelling, making horror films or thrillers, just, um, just, just kind of connected with me because I remember he did this interview where he talked about um, if he's making, say example, like, like a monster, um, what scares him may not scare you. And what he would do is, is use not only the story, but lighting and sound. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't show a monster too early. You know, he could take an audience out of it. Like if he, if he thinks, oh, this monster is scary looking, he brings it early into the movie, it may not be scary to you. So what he does is basically um, someone's behind a door and you hear maybe like something banging or scratching against the door. You're sitting there in the audience and you're using your own imagination because you haven't seen it yet. You're create, you're scaring yourself already. And so I remember doing that early on with my earlier films, mainly because I didn't have the budget to, you know, create something scary. So I would have to, I was forced to use, make the story scary. Um, Violet was one that I did that was, that was pretty successful as far as um, getting um, recognition. Um, so that was a horror film or thriller. Well, the entity of Violet was only on the screen for 44 seconds in a whole movie. 
it's the story that kind of scared you. It was the sounds, um, not knowing what's behind that door, not knowing what's behind you, letting the audience use their imagination. And so that was one of, uh, I remember M. Night was just doing that and was, was I thought was a genius at doing that. Um, and so he was the one that I would want to work with or just kind of pick his brain. And um, I just remember his camera work and his, his, his um, just the pacing of it was, was different. And I kind of emulated that throughout my early work too. So um, I know I do want to get back into directing and that would be something I would want to, he would be the one guy I think to, I want to sit down with. Right. Who is your biggest influence in your filmmaking journey? Um, like right now, this is going to sound kind of cheesy. I know it's going to sound cheesy, but um, uh, what drives me right now is, is, is my boy, is my son. Um, because a lot of the, the projects that I'm picking on, that I'm picking right now, is a lot of cultural films. And I do a lot of things to kind of lay the foundation so that some, hopefully sometime he can watch it um, and learn. And I'm learning myself, but it's something that maybe he can watch and say, you know, and he's, he's starting to see that too. He's starting to realize what I do for a living. And he'll ask questions and he'll say, is that your movie, is that your movie? And um, it, that just, I mean, man, that really pushes me. And, and telling these uh, these stick wall stories and these journeys, um, he's starting to kind of pick up on it, and that that excites me, um, that inspires me. Um, and right now, I'm in a position to where I kind of got the best of both worlds because he's also Seminole, so I do the media work here for Seminoles. I do the, the documentaries here for for this tribe, and so I'm able to tell um, share their culture over here with the Seminole people. He's able to watch that now. And, and pick up on it. So he's learning from both sides and just to be a, a part of that right now, is just, I just feel like I'm in a good place and he's kind of what inspires a lot of it. Or he, or he also inspires a lot of the, my next project. Something I, I think is, would he watch this? And so that's kind of what drives me a lot. So it isn't, isn't kind of cheesy. <laughs> no, that's great. No, I, I think that's great. I think that whatever work, you know, our, our native talent puts out, they have to kind of consider that, you know, how, how does my family going to like this? Is, you know, is this something that, you know, my mom would watch, you know, how is, is are my people going to be proud of, of what I put out there? So, and I think you're doing a job, a really good job. <laughs> of, that was, that, that's kind of one of the reasons too, I picked the Stand and Pine one. My dad is from there. My dad grew up there, grew up in Santa Pine. My, some of my earliest childhood memories came from Santa Pine. So to do that film and kind of get back to them was a part of it. But a lot of it too was, was my dad, because my dad, I get my storytelling um, uh, from, from him. You know, he, he's a really good storyteller. And um, I remember I showed him one of the early cuts of the film. I took it down to, to Bennington. I showed it to mom and dad. And, you know, my dad's one of those old school Indians. They're not going to show too much emotions or, you know, but I could just tell, you know, I know him. So I could just tell he was, he was proud of it. He was just for him to see people he knew on the screen. And so that was a, a pretty cool moment. That's one of the reasons I kind of picked that project was for, um, for my family back home in Stan Pine, but also so my dad could see it and, and see that I made something for, for us to, to share. And um, he didn't say it, but I could tell he was he was pretty proud of it. That is awesome. Yeah. I, and I know that that's something I think that a lot of filmmakers, especially native filmmakers, you know, they want to make their communities proud. They want to make their parents proud. So 
he won't say it. He won't say it, but you could tell. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark, thanks for joining us tonight. We've really appreciated your time. Love hearing your stories. Keep up all of the good work. Well, I appreciate you having me and uh, appreciate you. And hopefully we didn't conjure up any spirits out here. I'm still looking. <laughs> get, your, uh, get your sweet grass. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> well, congratulations well, again on Skins Fest. And if it plays any place anywhere nearby, let us know and we can share it on our social media. Yeah, I got a couple of places. It's going to be shown here in Oklahoma. I, I can't announce it yet, but um, I'll let you guys know. You know, hopefully, you can come out there and and uh, come and watch it with me. That would be awesome. Yeah, I definitely want to watch it again. I think I've watched it like three times now. So <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll try to get a stickball game going and throw you, throw you guys out there. Oh dang! <laughs> <laughs> I will hurt myself. Oh. <laughs> Uh, the question, Angela, would you rather go on a paranormal documentary shoot with me or would you rather play in a stickball game? Paranormal. paranormal. I know you. Oh. <laughs> that, hmm. <laughs> I mean, hmm. Part of me wants to go just to see those locations and learn the history. Because I, yeah. I'm, I'm a history junkie. Yeah. But I, I've been on some ghost hunts and it's been okay. So... Probably I'd try a little bit. Of, if if Noetta will be there and hold my hand, I'll, I'll be good through the paranormal. I would be the one to mess with you, Angela. Oh, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah I, I can see that too. Was touching you, Angela. Okay, never mind. Then I'm not going with her. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark, we're really proud of the work you do and, and uh, very excited to see, you know, what, what the future brings and, and what you come up with next. Well, I appreciate it, and I appreciate you guys having me on this and and uh, helping uh, get this story out there and and the promotion part of it and everything. So I really do appreciate that. Of course, Great. and thanks course. to our audience for listening. We appreciate y'all, and if you'll rate and review us, that would help us a lot. And remember, don't just keep it real; keep it real, indigenous. Oh my gosh. That only works with two people. We always try to do that every time and it never works. <laughs> I was wondering if that was planned yeah. or what. It, I mean, yeah. Well. I even did the countdown one time and it didn't work. Uh, <laughs> it didn't uh, work. 